Good morning. Today's scripture reading comes from Micah chapter 7, verses 18 through 20. Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our inequities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. You will show faithfulness to Jacob and steadfast love to Abraham as you have sworn to our fathers from the days of old. You may be seated. All right. Well, amen. Thank you, Chris, Christina, for, for that and um, yeah, for sharing with us from God's word, and, and, and hopefully my, my prayer this morning is that we will be um, spurred to, to respond in, in faith and in, and in worship and in repentance and in hope to God's word. So good morning, Redemption Tucson. Um, my name is Dave. I'm the lead pastor here at Redemption Tucson, and uh, it's good to be back with you all this, this morning. And um, just a heads up, if you're new or you've never heard me preach before, I want to let you know that I have a Tutter, and it'll kind of come in and out as I as I preach. I thought a week of vacation might help that, but you know it didn't. But um, that said, um, we're going to get into our time. This is actually the last sermon in the Minor Prophets for now. We knew that we wouldn't get through all of them when we started this short um, kind of six-week series, but we're going to be starting John next week alongside all the other redemption congregations around Arizona, and we will get into um, that next week, and we'll be in that for the foreseeable future. And then when we have breaks or times here and there, we'll, um, we'll, we'll kind of slowly work our way back through the minor prophets so we can finish those and just have some handles on the um, different, different parts of God's word. And that's one that we're probably less familiar with. So um, with that, let me go ahead and, and pray as we close out this series and get into um, one of my favorite of this whole, these kind of minor prophets. I, I hope our time is, is shaping and, and helpful. All right, let's, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Lord, thank you for Christina's um, just, Lord, response to your word. And, and I pray that we will be shaped, Lord, that we will respond um, however by your spirit you would lead us to respond together and individually as your people. Lord, as we have said all along, I, I pray that we will be convicted where we need to be convicted, that we will be encouraged where we need to be encouraged, and Lord, ultimately that we will have hope in the good news of Jesus, the author and the hero of the entire story of all of Scripture. And Lord, even now, as we get into this time, I do want to pray, Lord, for those, um, specifically for Elements City Church here in Tucson, um, Lord, who lost one of their pastors very tragically. Lord, we pray for the Lee family. Lord, we pray for their other staff and pastors. Lord, we pray for those who are grieving. And we're reminded that while this tragedy hits us very close to home here in Tucson, we know that there are so many others around the world who are suffering, who are, who are crying out, who don't know where to turn. And, and this season, this, this global pandemic has only made it even worse, even more difficult to navigate and to um, enter through different emotions. And Lord, we pray that ultimately, Lord, by your spirit, 
that your gospel, your good news, Lord, will shape even the most tragic circumstances. So again, Lord, even now as we enter into this time together in Micah, we entrust our hearts, we lay them bare before you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, if you'll turn with me, we're going to kick off right now in Micah chapter 2, and then we'll kind of um, explain or get, get some handlebars or some ideas on where we are right now as we walk through this time um, together. So pick up with me in Micah chapter 2. Um, we'll be in, let's see here, in verse 1. So Micah chapter 2, verse 1, we'll kick off here. Woe to those who devise wickedness and work evil on their beds. When the morning dawns, they perform it because it is in their, it is in the power of their hand. They covet fields and seize them and houses and they take them away. They oppress a man and his house, a man and his inheritance. Therefore, thus says the Lord, behold, Against this family, I am devising disaster from which you cannot remove your necks and you shall not walk haughtily for it will be a time of disaster. In that day, they shall take up a taunt song against you and moan bitterly and say, we are utterly ruined. He changes the portion of my people, how he removes it from me. To an apostle, he allots, I'm sorry, to an apostate, he allots our fields. Well, that'll wake you up, church, right? Like this, this, um, this, this, this warning and this, this prophetic declaration of what is to come. It's like you read that and you almost think like, well, apart from that, Mrs. Lincoln, how was the play, <laughs> right? Like, man, it just jars you. You gotta, you gotta ask like, what's going on here? And, and, and well, what, what this is, is this is, um, an indictment, as the whole minor prophets have been in throughout all of Scripture, it's a, it's, a, it's a clear picture of the fallenness of the world that we're in. Or, or the, the fact that one author has said um, that sin is the way it's not supposed to be, right? The, and it's this, that God created us in the very beginning, imago Dei, this idea of imago Dei and quorum Deo that go hand in hand, that God said, let us make man in our image, and he created us, and, and we even see this intimate picture of God creating us, forming us with his own hands, and then breathing life from his breath into us, and then he said, now be fruitful and multiply, and he said, go and have dominion over all of the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and every crawling and creeping thing over all things that are, um, live all of life, all for God's glory, this idea of quorum Deo, right? means before the face of God. And Imago Dei means in God's image. And that's how he created us to live. And yet sin, which means turning away from God, which means finding our purpose and our identity, which means how we go about life being other than what God demanded us, commanded us, created us to do. And it's saying, no, I want to do it my way. And it's reflected often in oppressing other people and using whatever kind of power and privilege that we have to lord it over others and to hurt them. And that's what we saw there in Micah chapter 2. And that's what's going on in this, in this time in Micah. So just to help you understand here, this um, Micah was a prophet around the same time as um, the prophet Isaiah. 
And he is writing, he's particularly in the southern kingdom, right? We've talked about this before. There was the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, and Assyria would rise up and would, and would topple, attack, and even enslave the northern kingdom of Israel. Um, and then the Babylonians would attack the southern kingdom of Israel. And Micah is calling out this warning of what is to come, and he's declared, right, why it would happen. And it's ultimately because God's people have defamed worshiping him. He created us to worship him, right, in all of life. We say all of life is all for Jesus. Well, that's again, zooming out the whole story was meant to be a worship of God, that who we are and how we live and what we do and how we work and how we play, all of it would be worshiping God and how we relate with one another. And they are just wiping that through the mud and God is angry. So now we're going to skip ahead to Micah chapter 6, where we see one of perhaps the most famous um, of these v- v- verses in all of the minor prophets, and specifically in Micah. In Micah chapter 6, we'll pick up in um, Micah 6 verse 6, where we see kind of the culmination of why God is so upset with his people. It says this, With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high. Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice? and to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. So we're going to actually camp out here for a bit, and I'm just going to walk through these parts. But as, as we see the bigger picture here, is God cares about what's going on in our hearts. And now that is connected to what we say and what we do, to our religious acts. And then from there, how that relates with every other aspect of our lives. How do we relate with other people? And as we see here, it infuriates God when his people are hypocritical. When we say one thing, when we button up our top button, right? When we put on a tie, when we show up to church, when we, when we change the tone of our voice, when we, when, we, when we reflect something other than who we really are and what's actually been going on in our hearts and our lives. And God calls that out and he says he cares about how his people live. So what I'm going to do right now is we're just going to walk through this section of Micah chapter 6, verse 8, and we're just going to walk through those three parts, right, that God cares that his people not bring all the, right, thousands of, 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 of gallons of oil and rams. Then this is like the most, this is saying your whole life savings. This is saying you struck it rich and you bring it all to give to God. And he's saying, ultimately, he doesn't care about that if it's not related with a life of true worship. And so we're going to walk through this part where he says, this is what I care about, that you do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly. And so church, what I'm going to do right now, as has been the case for my own heart as I've walked through this, I'm going to trust that the Holy Spirit will reveal to us what he wants to reveal, that he will convict where we need to be convicted as we consider what it might look like to live a life of worship, broken up in those three ways. First, doing justice. 
And I'm going to read a number of different passages. If you're taking notes, you can just copy them down. Otherwise, you can just hear these. So first, we see what it looks like to do justice. In Isaiah chapter 1, verse 17, it says this, Learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. I care about the oppressed, the most vulnerable. And then in the New Testament, we see this in James chapter 1. I'm going to read chapter 1, verses 22 and 23, then also verse 27. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, okay, if there's an incongruence with what we're hearing and what we're actually doing, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. And then down in verse 27, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Okay, to look altogether different. And to care about injustice when it's taking place and to move toward it and to expose it and to call it out and to care for those who are most deeply affected by injustice. God cares about this. More than any number of, of, of dollars we've ever given, more than any words or tears we've shed or words we've declared or prayed or sung, right? God cares that that be connected to how we live, that we would be a people who do justice. Church, let me just ask honestly, all right? And you know in the last couple of weeks and months, we've talked about these things. We've had, we've had town halls and panels and conversations. For all of us, can we not agree that we long for the church to be known for these kinds of things? Where there is injustice, we are called in, we step in, we are known for, for moving toward the brokenhearted and the suffering. And God cares that we love kindness. It says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, right? Some of you may have had this read at your wedding or things like this, but this is actually more about, again, a life of worship, not just rom romantic love, but, but it's about a love that, again, is reflected in all that we do. And this is what it says in verses four through eight of 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Love is patient and what? kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. It goes on to say, love never fails. And this first Corinthians chapter 13 starts out just like Amos, um, and also Matthew chapter 7, if you recall, when Corey preached through Amos, and then in Matthew chapter 7, um, it, God is again saying, I don't care about clanging symbols and, and, and all these things and whatever you do, what kind of words of prophecy and even healing of the sick that you do, if it's not connected to a place of love, which again is reflected in kindness. In the um, section in Galatians chapter 5, where, where the author Paul talks about the fruits of the Spirit, and he says, listen, these other things come from, from your flesh. And it's, again, all those things, arrogance and oppression and, and, and being puffed up and being, and being selfish. But the Holy Spirit, if you have put your faith in Jesus and his Spirit now fills you up, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. 
Church, I just want to, again, I want to leave us before the Holy Spirit to let him do the convicting. I'm convicted by the fact that there have been studies done, and in one case, um, just random people were asked, what's the first word that comes to mind when you hear the word Christian? And the answer was mean. What would it look like for us to be known for our kindness? Right? Like Jesus. Not, not forsaking the truth, right? Not just dismissing and looking the other way when there's sin of any kind. But what would it look like to have a kindness that flows out of love? Okay, that we could love because he first loved us. And then this last part says that God's people would walk humbly. In James chapter 4, we hear this in chapter 4, verses 6 and verse 10, again, where the author is calling out hypocrisy, which is the theme that we're seeing all throughout the minor prophets. It says this, but God gives, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And then in verse 10, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. As we've talked about before, Tim Keller, who's actually quoting C.S. Lewis. What's better than a Tim Keller quote? Tim Keller quoting C.S. Lewis. Well, he said that humility is not just thinking less of yourself. It's not, woe is me, sackcloth and ashes, I'm the worst. That's usually false humility. But humility is thinking of ourselves less. Right? We've walked through this multiple times, but in Galatians chapter 2, we see the picture of humility. Let me just read it for us here quickly. Um, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, go eat popcorn. There it is. Okay, there you go. If you didn't learn anything right, you learned a little way to memorize those epistles. So in Galatians chapter 2, um, verses 5 through 8, the Apostle Paul reminds us of what real humility looks like. He says this. Let me check. Yep. Two verses, five through eight. He says this to them. I'm sorry, it's Philippians. Good thing I remembered here. Philippians 2. Okay, I'm glad because I was about to just pick up. I don't even know where. Okay. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. I think how I had these underlined and circled. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours, not by hard work, not by doing more, not by trying harder, but in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, we can be humble, again, not by just thinking less of ourselves and not by kind of just pouring on shame and guilt, but by turning to Christ. That ultimately, humility, real humility, is seen most clearly in and through the person and work of Jesus, giving himself on the cross and laying himself down for the good of others, not when they deserve it, but in fact, when we deserve it the least. When we reject him, when we, when we scorn him, when we turn away from him in our arrogance, in our pride, then in that moment, he laid his life down for us. And through faith in Christ, we can have humility produced. The language is like a fruit 
born out of a tree that is deeply planted. In this commentary that I've started to um, use and walk through, it's called the Africa Bible Commentary. There's this saying in this section here where it talks about this. Humility includes admitting that Jesus Christ has made the final and complete sacrifice acceptable to God, and that only by trusting him can our sins be forgiven and our guilt removed. Again, only through faith in Jesus, which is the humble act of giving your life to him, of surrendering to him, then through that, through the spirit whom he sent, humility can be produced. And then in this last part, in chapter 7, what Christina read earlier, the message is not just try harder, do better, right? Pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Why don't you love justice? Why don't you do justice, you hypocrite? Why don't you love kindness, you hypocrite? Why aren't you more humble, you hypocrite? No, there's a message of hope. And again, that produces a life that is um, in line with the work of giving your life over to Christ. So now picking up in chapter 7, verses 18 through 20, again, which Christina read. And I'm just going to walk through some of these things as we understand that there is this message of hope which always comes back to God's character and his promises. Okay, again, church, hear me right now. In this time of apparent hopelessness, this time of struggle, this time of job loss, of loss of life, of loss of health, of whatever it might be, how can I have any hope? The answer is look to God, look to his character, and look to his promises. So now picking up in verse 18. Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance? Now what's interesting about this, we miss this in the English language. The first part there of verse 18 is actually Micah's name. Okay, the name Micah is who is like Yahweh. Who is like the Lord? His name is a question. There is no one like the Lord. And he's asking, though, who is? Who is like God? And you could go on a search for it. When Joel talked earlier during a time of confession and assurance of grace, right? We look elsewhere. We look in idols and different created things to find our identity, to find our purpose, to find forgiveness, to find meaning, to find hope. The answer is it can be found in no one or no thing else because no one is like the Lord. And Micah starts this section, who is like the Lord? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. Again, we see his character there. His character is known that he does not hold on to his anger forever, but he delights in steadfast love. God is love. If you remember our countercultural conviction series, like 500 years ago, right? It seems like and feels like that we started off with love, that be, we can be a countercultural people defined by love, set apart by love because God is love. And then look here at verse 19. He will again have compassion on us, He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. This language used there, especially to a Hebrew audience church, would have been flooded with the imagery of Pharaoh and his army, seemingly insurmountable power and authority over God's people who had been enslaved to the Egyptians. And what did God do? He pulled back the Red Sea and they stormed through it seemingly without hope. And then God closed the oceans and they perished 
in the sea, and that same language is used here, you will cast our sins into the depths of the sea. Okay, again now, Christian, look, look at me. What, what kind of sin do you feel overwhelmed by? Hopeless in, sins that you commit, sins that have been committed to you, sins that are personal, sins that are relational, and sins that are corporate, right? On a personal level, it might be some kind of struggle to something that you have tried to get over. It might be addiction, right, to some alcohol, some substance to alcohol or drugs or, or, or gambling or something else that you have tried time and time and time again and failed. It feels insurmountable. It feels hopeless. It feels like the great enemy that you can't do anything. It might be l- lust, right? It might be anger, it might be consumerism in some way. It might, be, it might be hopelessness. Whatever it might be, it seems insurmountable. And yet the message we have here is that even such seemingly insurmountable personal sins, God will throw into the depths of the sea. Interpersonal, right? Relational sins, family dynamics. There might be people that it seems like there is no way we can ever be reconciled. But God, even that, will throw those into the depths of the sea. Communal sins, right? Again, we've talked about and looked face on with racism and other sins like sexism, consumerism, and evil that seems like there is no way these things will be dealt with. There is no hope that those things will actually be taken care of. But again, God's promise which we can hold on to because of his character, is that he will indeed throw those into the depths of the sea. So again, hear me, church. Hopefully you've heard uh, over the last few months, um, we don't have all the answers. We don't have hope because we're so smart and we're so, so good and so kind. We're so, we have all these ideas. No, we have hope because we are submitted to the Lord whose character and promises say that he will deal with every kind of sin, personal, relational, communal, societal, So we press on with that kind of hope, even though it feels so strong. And then verse 20, lastly, we see God's promises. He says, you will show faithfulness to Jacob and steadfast love to Abraham as you have sworn to our fathers from the days of old. Okay, to help that hit home, the promises of God that we can hold on to. In Isaiah chapter 54, verse 10. For the mountains may depart and the hills be removed, right? Whatever, there's hurricanes hitting the East Coast, there's all the, the power, whatever else might happen, nothing else is trustworthy. Nothing else is, is so solid in its foundation that it can be counted on. Though all these things may happen, it says this, but my steadfast love shall not depart from you, declares the Lord. And my covenant of peace shall not be removed, says the Lord who has compassion on you. So church, as we close our time right now and we respond, right? we look at what God thinks and feels about hypocrisy, about injustice, about evil, about the sins in our heart. He cares deeply. And he cares so much that he sent his only son, who is the clearest picture of God's character and the fulfillment of God's promises on display. And so we can join in with Micah 
in asking that question, who is like the Lord? And of course, the answer is nobody. So let's pray and respond. Again, Heavenly Father, thank you for, Lord, for your word. Thank you for hope. God, thank you for your character and your promises. Lord, I do pray that we individually, Lord, that families right now in homes, in, in all over Tucson in different places, Lord, that, that, and then that we as a church community, Lord, that we will be a set-apart people, not because we're so great, great, Lord, but because you are great. Lord, I pray that we will be a people who love you so much and who understand your love toward us, God, that we would do justice and love kindness and walk humbly. In Jesus' name, amen.